Why does it seem like the Decepticons are able to find the Earth's core's power every single episode? We'll talk about that this time on Energon Entries. Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to Energon Entries. This is episode nine, and as always, this is your host, Matt Freitz. I hope that you've been enjoying the show thus far. I've been enjoying putting it together, so let's get right into the episode. We're here in episode nine as we go through the very first season of Generation One, and quite frankly, it's been a fun ride. We've been getting a little bit more backstory, a little bit more exposition, and look into what the Transformers were doing before they actually landed on Earth, and that means before the pilot, which was the first three episodes. And as we get into this episode, we have gotten some backstory on Skyfire, we've gotten some backstory on Starscream, and now we have new robots galore with the Dinobots. And so in this episode, we start with Trailbaker and Braun, who are two of the quote-unquote more tougher Autobots, catching the Seekers attempting to steal from a power plant. Now, the Autobots have Teletrans send a probe out into the world to find out where the Decepticons are. Trailbreaker and Braun are unable to stop them from stealing this steel, but they don't know what exactly it's being used for. Teletrans Probe finds weird energy readings in the Peruvian Andes, and that's where Optimus Prime assumes that Megatron is. While there, Megatron is tapping into an old Incan myth about the Crystal of Power, which is somehow tapping into the Earth's core. The steel that the Seekers bring was used to make a weapon that can harness that power. So Megatron takes off the crystal of power, which unleashes the power of the Earth's core, and it goes directly into this weapon made of the steel that the Seekers stole. When the steel fails, Megatron invades a nearby mining town to gain the metal that he needs to create this weapon over again. He is not very happy about this, as obviously he was hoping to only have to do this once, and once again, Starscream has let him down. The Autobots travel to the Arctic Circle by car to retrieve Skyfire as they need him to mount an aerial attack on the Decepticons in the Peruvian Alps. Skyfire goes back to Autobot headquarters and picks up Braun and Windcharger to go confront Megatron and crew. While Braun and Windcharger battle Soundwave and his tapes, Skyfire attempts to destroy the weapon by climbing to the top of this temple. Thundercracker foils his plans, but is undecided on what to do, as he doesn't want Starscream to get the benefit. Starscream catches Thundercracker in his indecision and blackmails him. He blasts Skyfire and incapacitates him in the process. Once the Autobots have arrived to the Peruvian Andes, Megatron uses his fusion cannon to shoot the mountainside and cause an avalanche to distract the Autobots. This does temporarily distract the Autobots as they use their guns to blast the avalanche and save the village, and everybody's very happy. Inside the temple, Bumblebee and Spike attempt to thwart the Decepticons' plans. In doing so, Ravage catches them and attacks Bumblebee while Spike repairs Skyfire. Meanwhile, Optimus Prime and Megatron battle outside. Skyfire takes out the weapon, and the Decepticons scatter. The Autobots seal the Earth's core with one of Wheeljack's inventions, and the episode ends with Bumblebee driving Spike and Louisa back to town, blushing at being introduced to Louisa's convertible, who she has lovingly named Juanita. It's funny because we start out the episode with Trailbreaker and Braun, who are two of the more tougher Autobots, and immediately 
you get one of those illustration quirks, an all red trail breaker. It's really, really funny, but they start right off the bat with an inconsistency, and I am giddy as a result. Starscream also has a fun new weapon, which I think I missed in the last episode or two episodes ago, but he now has chest torpedoes, and they sort of come out, and it's like, wow, those would have been really helpful in some of the other battles, but we see that, at least for me, for the first time, but I think I missed it in one of the other episodes, and we know that Starscream is using the steel to make a weapon that can harness the Earth's core. I asked at the beginning of the episode, is it going to happen every episode? But this is, I think, the second time in a row in which these green crystals somehow represent the power of the Earth's core. And if it was that easy to tap into, you'd think that Megatron would have been able to do it already. But now this is the second attempt to be able to do this. One thing I really liked about this was they gave you the aspect from the Peruvian locals, and they believe that it is their gods producing these energy surges in the sky. Because when Megatron takes the crystal off, it shoots out all this power from the Earth's core, and it shows this big beam in the sky. And of course, these villagers who live a very different life than we here in the United States, they see this and think these are their gods at play. Everything that they believe for how however many centuries is coming to fruition, and quite frankly, it scares them. One thing I noticed in this episode is that the core of the Decepticons really hasn't grown all that much. We've seen the addition of a lot of Autobots, but really it's been the same core of Decepticons doing all of these things to get energy around the world, and it, it seems to me that the Autobots need more and more robots to be able to combat this, while the Decepticons seem to be always one step ahead of the Autobots with this very, very relatively small crew of Decepticons. thought that was funny. So the Autobots end up going down to retrieve Skyfire. And I said this in the episode in which he re-crashed into the Earth is why didn't they retrieve him then? Why did they assume that he was unable to be rescued? But in this episode, they go right to where he was. They drill into the ice and boom, there's Skyfire. They're able to find him. No sweat, no problem. So if it was that easy in this episode, why didn't they do it before? Because wouldn't he have come in handy in literally any other time than right now? So it's very convenient that they waited until right now. Two episodes. They could have done this before, but they decided not to do it. It seems kind of interesting and also seems like not a great leadership move for Optimus Prime. Like, why wouldn't you want to have as many high-powered Autobots at your disposal as possible? In all of the skirmish that takes place in the Peruvian Andes, Braun gets shot by the fusion cannon right in the chest. And honestly, it was just fine. This is something to keep in mind because as we get into the movie, which is something I remember, I don't have to pretend that the movie doesn't exist because I've seen Transformers the movie so many times and we know that Braun dies from a shot from Megatron's fusion cannon. Now, he was in gun mode, so maybe that means he's more powerful, but here he gets shot directly in the chest. And then, not long after that, he gets shot, I think, in the face by Soundwave's cannon, and again, totally just fine. So it's interesting the inconsistencies there because Megatron's fusion cannon, at times, up until this point, has been displayed or shown to us to be overpowered, where when you get shot from it, it incapacitates you. Ironhide has had this happen. So Braun, who I guess is one of the tougher Autobots, this really isn't an issue for him, but it may become an issue in the movie. So this is something we should watch as this show goes on. It always makes me wonder how long it takes the Autobots to get to these places all over the world. I think it's understood that they are in the United States as to where the Ark is and where Autobot headquarters is. Every time they go somewhere, it's Autobots roll out. And that means that they drive everywhere. How long do you think it took them to get to the Peruvian Andes from Autobot headquarters? It means they got to go all the way from wherever they are and drive all the way down to Peru. That's going to take them days to get there. And you'd think that in the time it took them to get down there, Megatron would have actually 
accomplished his mission, gotten all the power he needed, and be the most powerful being on Earth. But apparently that's not the case. I don't think we get any real idea about how long it takes the Autobots to get there, and that always makes me chuckle, because I know, for me personally, I get annoyed if I have to drive an hour out and back to go somewhere, but the Autobots are like, nope, we'll drive all the way to Peru. Totally fine, we're totally gonna make this happen. And this goes back even further to, hey, If we had Skyfire, we wouldn't have to drive all the way down there. Maybe we could all go down there. And that's another thing. Skyfire, when he goes to pick up Brawn and Windcharger, he can pick up the Autobots in Transformers form. So I think there's a little discrepancy into the scale of how big he is compared to how big the Autobots are. And that's something I think goes along with the inconsistencies of the animation, quite frankly. I mean, Megatron does go from this giant robot to a tiny gun. Soundwave goes from this giant robot to a tiny tape deck. It is what it is. It's the 80s. You kind of just roll with it. I also noticed that whenever the Autobots and Decepticons battle now, they seem to be doing more and more damage to infrastructure and land. But there's never really any repercussions. There's never really any civilian deaths. You never hear about any of this. They just seem to be able to do whatever they want. They crash a bunch of things. They knock over a bunch of buildings. And cool, at the end of the day, the Autobots save the day. So hooray, everybody's very happy. Another inconsistency, Skywarp speaks and has Thundercracker's body. I think that's amazing. And I just think that these inconsistencies are part of the fun. So Starscream catches Thundercracker in a treasonous act, and ironically, Starscream is using this to his advantage, which is funny because Starscream tries to take over every single episode. And he uses this to blackmail Thundercracker into, hey, I'll tell Megatron that you're going to do this. When Starscream blatantly does this in the open every time Megatron trips or has just a little bit of damage to him, I am the new leader. And so it's funny that Starscream seems to have no self-awareness and is going to use this as blackmail when he does this all the time. So Spike ends up saving Skyfire with his knowledge of circuitry. Now, earlier when I said it was interesting that Spike and Sparkplug would be so into what the Autobots are doing, but I think that they're very, very smart. They know a lot about electronics, a lot about mechanics, and he was able to save Skyfire. So I think it's really awesome whenever the humans are able to save the Autobots, who are this alien being, this alien species that have a lot of knowledge, that have a lot of advanced technology, but sometimes you just need good old-fashioned smarts to get the job done, and that's what we see Spike do here. So Megatron's master weapon blows the top off of a mountain at one point as he is basically trying it out. But yet when he shoots the Autobots, he hits Ironhide, and Ironhide is just fine. These inconsistencies, just they're going to be part of it. It just does make me laugh, though. Megatron's fusion cannon. Is it overpowered or is it underpowered? Is this new weapon that they're using the Earth's core from, is it super powered? Is it going to be able to take over the Earth? Or is it just able to lightly damage the Autobots? So on one hand, it can take out an entire mountain no sweat. And you'd think that it'd be able to disintegrate an Autobot, but it doesn't. It is what it is. But Ironhide gets hit directly, shakes it off, ends up fighting Megatron anyway, and everything gets saved. The whole episode I thought was very interesting. It was one of the more inconsistent ones because it just had a lot of questions that needed to be answered. But again, we're not taking this too seriously. It's just really a sarcastic view of some of these things. Like how long does it take them to drive there? Which weapons are actually the most powerful? We're not ever going to know because the whole point is robots fighting robots, fighting robots, fighting robots. And at the end of the day, the good guys seem to win all the time, no matter what. It's a fun ride. Let's just enjoy it. What did you think of this episode? And what have you thought of the podcast so far? Get in touch with me. MattyIceMedia at gmail.com is the email to get in touch. There is no social media for this episode. We're having fun. We're not trying to break down canon. We're not trying to break new ground. We're just having fun watching Transformers as a 40-year-old man with his son. Hope this finds you well. I hope this finds you safe. And we'll see you next time for episode 10. This is Energon Entries.
The opinions and viewpoints expressed on Energon entries are those of Matt Freights and his guests and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. Energon Entries is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.